Father in heaven, um, I just want to thank you for today and for the beautiful rain. And I want to thank you for what rain brings, the, the leak in my bathroom. I want to thank you uh, for my community here who loves you and who is wrestling with you and who wants to know um, how to walk alongside of you. Jesus, I want to thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins, for giving us hope and an opportunity to be part of your adventure. Holy Spirit, as we come um, today, even though we might be excited about your adventure, we're not even always sure in our head what's going on. We have a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of doubt. Uh, we're tired. We're wrestling with uh, sickness and our um, wrestling with sadness in our life and in our friends' lives. And so there's a lot that we bring and our hearts are both joyful and heavy. And so we ask that you would give us courage to believe what is true and to push aside tonight or today what is false. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen. So as I said, we're in the Daniel Project. Um, Daniel is an ancient book which, was, which takes place about 600 years before uh, Jesus was born, and it's in the Old Testament, and Daniel is a book about exile. It's a book about people who have been taken from their country and moved away, and it's about a particular man and his friends and their experience in exile and how God met them and engaged them and offered them a picture into the future. But before we get started into Daniel, I would like to offer you this idea that you and I don't belong here. Not that you don't belong here in the village, but we don't belong in this world, in this space, the way things are. We don't belong. We're exiles. And I would say that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't belong here. Because the world... Have, where God has created you for something extremely amazing and divine. And the world that we live in makes it very obvious that that's not something it wants, right? And the culture that we live in and the brokenness that we live in. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and what, it, what I mean with, by that is when you look in the mirror and you know that there is stuff that are, is broken about you, and you know that the things that you have been wrestling with and the darkness in your own soul really has no answer and that there's a lot of shame attached to it. And you realize that the only way that that can be solved is by your death. And yet you found Jesus who died for you and you've embraced him. And when you've done that, you've been woken up. And so you know you don't belong here. And I want to start out our, our talk today in 1 Peter, very quickly. Um, First Peter 2, verse 11. Now Peter was the apostle with whom Jesus changed his name and gave him, made him the rock of the church, and he offers us this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, some texts say sojourners, wanderers, in the world, to abstain from sinful desires 
which war against your soul. It's really interesting to me that Peter decides to attach strangers and aliens to this pressure to attack and transform and, and take your soul and devour it. That you and I live in a world who is trying to pressure in on us and destroy our identity, to devour it, to take our soul away from us. Right? And when that happens, when you and I kind of begin to lose the idea of the identity of being an alien or stranger, like the desires in our heart kind of think, yeah, that's giving up my soul is not actually that bad of an idea. Right? And so Peter's like, no, 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 you've got to remember you do not belong here. Right? You don't belong here. And as we think about this, I think Daniel has a lot to offer us because Daniel shows us what it's like and what, how we should live in exile. What it looks like to walk as people in exile in the midst of people. Not separate from them, but in the midst of them. So, to start our story though, we have to have a bad guy. You have to have a bad guy. And so for us, in our story, the Babylonians are the bad guy. And I thought, well, the Babylonians are only described... Well, in, uh, by Habakkuk, which Habakkuk describes the Babylonians, what they are like. And we need to have a picture of what Daniel has been taken by, what the Israelites have been captured by as we enter into our story. So I'm going to start in Habakkuk, which is a, he's an ancient prophet around the same time as Daniel. And he explains who the Babylonians are. This is God speaking. Verse 6 of chapter 1. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar, they fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They, are all, they all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. The Babylonians are a horrific, warring people. And if you know anything about ancient history, at the moment that Daniel's story comes onto the scene, the Assyrians, who are the first real world power, like superpower, are on the ascent. They're, they're going down. And the Babylonians are coming up. And the Egyptians are trying to help the Assyrians. And Judah, who's all that's left of Israel and Jerusalem, is this little country caught up in the midst of big superpowers and they just get run over and destroyed and daniel is part of that daniel is part of that and so we're going to pick up our story if you ever like watching you know robin hood movies or any kind of movie about king arthur there's always you know there's always the narrator and there's always the dark screen and you hear the swords clashing and you hear exactly what's 
happening to start the story, to give you some context. And so at the beginning of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 2, are sort of the narration. So I just want to listen to you. This is how the story begins. It's about 605 B.C. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. Maybe some of your uh, translations say Sinar, but this is where Babel is, or was, for those of you who know the story of Babel, and put in the treasury in the house of God. So, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes Jerusalem and he destroys it and takes the people. The thing is that you and I, if you don't realize this, like we're caught up in this still, right? You have Babylon and Assyria and Egypt fighting and yet it affects people, right? You have walls being built or not being built and it affects people. No matter what decision the government shuts down, it affects people. No, whatever decision is made by people that we don't know, it affects people, right? Decisions by leaders impact people, and decisions by violent leaders impact people dramatically, and selfish decisions impact people, and they go on and on, and yet, really, it's just a collection of individual stories that are impacted. And in this particular story, there is this suffering, right? There's this suffering because all of these people are taken into exile. They're captured by the Babylonians. Eventually, Jerusalem is destroyed completely and most of Israel is taken to Babylon. Listen what Israel says in Psalm 137. And we sing this song, so you'll recognize it. But in Psalm 137, which is the songbook of the ancient people of Israel, during their journey into Babylon, this is what they say. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing... Do you know what they're saying? What the heck? We're headed off to Babylon and our tormentors are saying, hey, sing us those joyous songs about your people, about your God who has done nothing because we look, we'll do that and while you're singing, we'll drink out of his cups, right? He's powerless. And so we've, we've all been in this place or if you're not in this place, you will be at some point where life puts you in a place of suffering and sadness where you ask the question, Where's God, and why do I even care? And why, how can I possibly sing about God? He seems so far away, and hope seems so far away, right? It seems so, so far away. And so there's this mourning in the people of Israel, and yet Daniel, in these first two verses, gives us a clue about how he plans on handling this dramatic event of having his country taken, having his hope of life and the way it would be just destroyed. And in verse 2 of Daniel, he says something very important. 
that will shape the way he understands what God is doing and what he thinks God is inviting him into. Verse 2 says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It does not say that Nebuchadnezzar came and took Jehoiakim. It says that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim to him. What Daniel is saying is, I don't know why, but what I do know is that all victories, all events, all gains do not happen because a particular person did it, but because God delivered and God gave. And so what he's saying is, I stand in exile. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar is the human ruler, but he is not my ruler. God is my ruler. And God delivers people and God will deliver me. And so what's interesting is, is Daniel, and if you know the book of Daniel, Daniel doesn't go about explaining the existential parts of life or why God allows suffering or evil or anything like that. He just says God delivered. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. Right. I was recently listening to an interview from of Francis Chan. I don't, I don't know how many of you know Francis Chan. How many, okay, a few of you know who Francis Chan is. Francis Chan had a huge megachurch, and he decided in the midst of that that this was not what God was calling him to. Um, and so he basically downsized from being a megachurch pastor into a little, you know, small, tiny house, took all of the money that he made from books and all of that, and began starting orphanages in Africa, and just started inviting homeless people and, and all of that and into his home. And, you know, that's really interesting. And right there is rather admirable. And you're like, well, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to give up power and prestige um, and, and, and to go have a bigger impact in the world. But what struck me was the interviewer asked him after kind of, you know, how did your wife handle this decision uh, to make this downsizing thing? But uh, he said, so your mother died in childbirth. Your stepmother died a little later in your young life. And then your father died in your teenage life. How is it possible that you did not get angry at God and walk away from him? And Francis thought for a few seconds. He said, well, I was familiar with the scriptures. And Jesus, as a little kid, I knew that Jesus said, and this is a little kid he's saying, said that in this world you will have troubles. And I understood that God told the truth. And it didn't push me away from God. It actually drew me closer to him because I knew he was being honest was basically what he was saying. Francis Chan did not attempt to explain why God allows suffering. What both Daniel and I think Francis Chan understand is that this is not about us figuring out the bigger thing, but it's about the opportunity to be part of what God is doing in the world. Susan and I have been kicking around this thing of recent where we talk about just walking through the door that's in front of us, right? Because a lot of times what we do in life is we try to figure out why we're suffering. We try to figure out what God wants us to do. We're trying to figure out our life, right? We're trying to figure out the trajectory and how we're going to accomplish everything. And maybe you don't think this way, but that's how I think. And what happens is I miss over and over again the doors that God is opening with my kids, with the people around me. Like, and so I don't walk through them. And so I don't actually end up 
experiencing what God is doing or actually being able to join in on the adventure. Now, that doesn't mean that as Daniel wrestles through these things, he's not suffering, that he isn't in pain, that he isn't wrestling with emotion. But it's very obvious as you read through the book of Daniel that what he's saying is, God gave Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. I've been swept up in that. And now I'm going to walk through whatever door is put in front of me. I'm going to be part of whatever God is doing now in the moment. And so Daniel goes into exile. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Some texts may say the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So, when you form identity, like when the way we all understand how we're valuable, the first thing that we tend to do to understand our value is to look outwardly, right? To our, the outward things tell us who we are. So, our family tells us who we are, right? Or the lack of it, right? The value systems in our family, the expectations, we know what we're supposed to do. We're the oldest son. The oldest son does this, right? Our, our larger community might tell us who we are, right? But a lot of times, the way we understand our value is to look outward. What do people say about me? What am I, what's expected of me? Like, how do I fit in this social structure, These things give us identity. What's expected of me? What's my role? What am I supposed to do? Well, the Babylonians understood this, right? The Babylonians understood this, and so they would take, they did something very unique that other nations did. They would take all the rulers of of a country, and they would basically completely um, Babylonianize them, I guess, would make them Babylonians, would take their culture from them. Now, for Daniel, I mean, this is very dramatic because what they do with the nobility is to say, we're not only going to make you all Babylonians, we're going to take your capacity to reproduce. So these these men are become eunuchs, right? They're, They're going to take their manhood away from them and they're also going to take their identity and everything else away. So now you're a Babylonian. You eat like a Babylonian. You speak like a Babylonian. You know how to be and do everything that is Babylonian and now you will rule like a Babylonian, right? They take their identity away. So no longer it's their Jewish family. There's no longer what the things that they practice. They have no identity there. In our culture, this happens too. One of the things that's striking to me is just how lonely all of us are. Even those of you who think you have friends, how lonely you are. Um, Because most of us have lost the ability to communicate, right? We've lost the ability to talk and communicate. We communicate, especially as we get younger and younger in, our, in, in this culture, we communicate, um, you know, by text, by YouTube, by all those other apps and whatever else, right? So, but we don't know how to have 
conversations with each other. We don't know how to sit on the back porch and sort of sit in quiet for a while and then talk. We don't have any of our, our world has sped up. And so there's this deep loneliness inside all of us. We feel like we're not connected. And what I hear over and over again um, in our culture and in our church is that if I'm not here anymore, it doesn't matter, right? My life isn't going to change anything. When you have an identity where you belong to a family, you know that you have an impact. If the oldest son leaves, it has an impact, right? Like, if you don't fulfill the roles you're supposed to fulfill, it has an impact. Um, so what happens is when you believe that your life doesn't matter, like people are basically the culture is saying, like, you don't matter, you become very lonely, and you begin to lose your own identity. And you begin to think, I don't belong here. There's an interesting story I just was listening to about this psychiatrist who was in, during the Nazi concentration camps, he was in a concentration camp, and when he got out, he became the opposition to Freud. Um, but when he was in the camp, the story he relays about one of his friends who was uh, basically saying, look, like, the Nazis, the Nazis are going to kill us, so I'm just going to stop eating and kill myself. Like, I'm going to die. Like, there's no real point in being here. And the psychiatrist friend said to him, like, look, if you kill yourself and you do not allow the Nazis to kill you, then no one will know how brutal the Nazis are because you have taken that away. They will not know the extent of their brutality. Right? So he's saying this to one person. And all of a sudden, this guy was like, oh, it changed his whole continence while he was in this concentration camp. It changed his focus. He had a purpose. The Nazis are going to kill me. I am not going to kill me because I have meaning and purpose, right? So in some ways, what, what the Babylonians are doing, what our culture does to us, and, and you should think about how the culture does this to you, what it does is it begins to strip your value from you. What make, gives you meaning takes away your family, isolates you, right? Well, that's exactly what the Babylonians wanted to do because people who are Babylonians don't rebel against Babylonia, right? People who, you know, and not to get too sci-fi, but people who are plugged in don't rebel. So, the next part happens, verse 6. Among these were some, of, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, or to, yeah, Mishael, there was Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So not only do they send them to a whole new school. He changes their names. Um, so we find our identity by looking out. But the other way that you and I find our identities is by looking inward, right? The way we understand our identity is really based on our desires. Like, do I feel happy now? 
Am I happy? Like, am I getting what I want? If I'm getting what I want, then I feel like I have a strong identity. Um, Internally, like, just kind of who do I say I am? Am I satisfied with me? Right? Well, for Daniel and his community, there's almost a, the, a biblical sense to, I mean, not a biblical sense, it is biblical. The, the names for a Hebrew person is, in a sense, the internal identity for them. It's the thing that they rest on. Like, so for instance, Daniel's name is the Lord is judge. And Hananiah's name is Jehovah's favor. And Mishael's name is who is like God. And Azariah's name is Jehovah helps. So at any moment when the world is saying you're one thing, you can look at your name and internally your identity and say, no, no, this is who God says I am. God is my judge. God has favor on me. God, there's nobody like God. It's like, so all of a sudden, like for a Jewish person, their name is their identity. It's who they are internally. And so the Babylonians are like, yes, that's right. And so now we're going to change that for you. We're going to strip the very internal thing that tells you who you are. And so Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, which has a lot of different translations. It could be Prince of Baal. It could be Prince of Fire. Um, But basically he's saying, no, you belong to somebody else. Shadrach means illuminated by the sun god. Meshach, who is like Shaq. I mean, that's, I don't know, but that's, you know, which Shaq that is. Um, Abednego, servant of Nego, right? You, you, your God doesn't mean anything. The person, the, the God who, who created you and gave you name and, and an identity, no, no longer that matters. You've been completely stripped of that. It's, it's gone, Right? So our culture does that all the time. Our culture is always telling you that the name you have doesn't matter. It's somebody else's name. It's funny that I could ask you about a particular celebrity, and many of you could tell me more about that celebrity's life than you can about your brother and sister's life. Because in some ways you said, like, our name doesn't matter. It's these people's names that matter. Like, that's what matters. Like, we're just robots. We're just, like, here to exist. Right? We don't matter. We don't matter at all. But the cool thing is that even though you and I are in exile, in a world that is pressing against us, God has given us an opportunity to do something really cool in this exile we're not just neutered we're not just like we don't we don't have we just kind of walk along and you know we're in the matrix or whatever i want you to listen and i could read all of ephesians because in some ways the ephesians the book of ephesians written by paul is sort of this manifesto of who you are right but in ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to the end i want i want you just to listen to what god has given you and what he's invited you into while you live in exile. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his, ki- in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Daniel, in some sense, understood this. That as, as you and I head in and are in exile, what is different about us as we're followers of Jesus is that you have been given a gift, and as the kids say on the street, you've been woke, Right? I know I don't have any kids in the street, and I know that I can irritate my uh, daughter as much as possible. Um, But we have been woken up, and what you've been woken up to is that you are God's workmanship. Like, you have been crafted for something divine and beautiful. And there are a ton of doors open for you to transform this world. Now Jesus in John 17 prays that you and I would not be of the world, but that we would be in the world. Right? That he, he wants us to be present. Daniel was present. right? When Daniel is in the school learning about all the things in Babylonia, he's learning all the magic. He's, learning, he's doing all of it. He's learning about all the myths and everything. Right? He's not pushing himself away from it. And yet, he understands that Nebuchadnezzar and all that's being told to him is not the ruler. That Nebuchadnezzar, Jehoiakim was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God. And that Daniel has something to play in this. It's the same for you and I. We have something to play out in this. And yet, it's so easy for us, I think, in exile to just give up, right? Because internally, the pressures to just give up seem really good. To have my soul sucked out of me sounds good, right? Sometimes, you know, two hours into Netflix, it's just nice to have my soul sucked out of me, right? And to have my identity told. There, there are so many opportunities for my soul to be sucked out of me, right? And you know them. Like, I don't have to sit here and explain all of them. Like, you guys are all smart. You know where your identity is being sucked out of you, and you're like, yes, this is tasty. I'll just give up. And yet what Paul is saying is, no, 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 wait. Wait, God has given you this beautiful gift. Pull back. You have something amazing to offer. Well, in the midst of, of exile, the big question is, where is God? And Daniel understands where God is. But the Israelites were like, man, this isn't, we don't want to do this. And they figured that there was only 70 years they needed to be in exile. So they're like, yeah, let's just wait it out. We don't need to do this. But a contemporary of Daniel by the name of Jeremiah said, no, 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 no. God has something else for you. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 29 to all of, including Daniel, all the people in exile. He says this. This is what God has to say. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those, and catch this, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too 
may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. And that's just part of that note. But what Jeremiah, God is saying to Jeremiah is like, listen, like, settle down. You can have a dramatic impact on Babylon. Grow, don't, don't decrease. Pray for the city. If it prospers, you prosper. Right? Well, that's the same for you and I. Tucson, and extended out, but Tucson needs you, needs the village. It needs to parent its kids next to you. It needs to have its cars fixed next to you. It needs to have its people being healed next to you. It needs to go to the hospital next to you. It needs to be on television next to you. It needs needs you at Starbucks, right? It needs you more than you can possibly think. And you have something divine to offer in exile. That does not mean that exile, right, is good and happy and we should all jump up and and rejoice all the time that we're in exile. No, being home is good. But home is not coming yet. Jesus has not returned yet. Things have not been put into fullness, but you and I have an opportunity to change things. But we have to decide that we're going to walk through the door. Because I would argue to you that over and over again in exile, the door is opened for you. The Holy Spirit is opening doors for you. And saying, here, step through. Offer what I've given you to these people. Offer what I've given you to this kid. Offer what I've given to you, to your neighbor, right? So what we're going to learn in Daniel and what the adventure of Daniel is going to be is how to live in exile, how to step through the door and offer what you have. Because what we'll find in Daniel is that when you begin to do that, you know how we're always asking the question about what happens in the future? The future is revealed. Because the first half of Daniel is a narrative. The second half of Daniel is about the future. And so as you step through the door, God will tell you what's going to happen. I think that's exciting. I get really excited about that. I'm excited about Daniel, but I'm also excited about our opportunity as a community to really grab hold of our identity in Christ. Because here's the thing. If we look outward... If that, our identity is determined outward and it's found in the church, the church is a family that will never be destroyed. If it's looking inward to a name that's been given to us, well, God has given you a name. You're his son and daughter. You're a holy priesthood, a royal nation that you're part of. But also Revelations 2 and 3 tell you that those who overcome, Jesus has a particular name for you that only he and you will know, that will tell you who you are. You know part of it, but you're going to know it in full. That's exciting. I want to be part of that. I want you guys to be part of that. I literally have one minute. Does anybody have a question? <laughs> I go for one question, one thought. Anything, anyone? Obviously, a minute is not a lot. We got a is that a question or just a? No. Oh, yes, go for it. Yes. 
Well, <laughs> I will tell you that some of it has already happened through the Messiah, and some of it points to Revelation, and we'll get to those parts. So yes, it's exciting, but I'll tell you the one fun part of it is that Alexander the Great does show up in Daniel, so it's cool things like that. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. Both. The enemy is three things. Okay. The enemy is the enemy, Satan. The enemy is the systems of thinking in the world. And the enemy becomes our old, the old man. You know, once we become a follower of Jesus, the old is going and the new is coming. So that flesh that's dead is still, you know. The idea that what Paul uses there is that when somebody murdered someone in the Roman Empire and they were caught red-handed, like you stabbed them, and there you are, everybody sees you, they actually strap you to that man and throw you in jail. And you rot. When that guy rots, you rot. And you die. And so that idea is what Paul is using for our flesh, is that you're alive, but your flesh is dead. And so it's still stinky and stenchy and creeping into you. And you're trying to undo those bounds as you head into the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? All right, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. <laughs> uh, Jesus, thank you for my community. I really love them. I just ask that you would bless our time as we sing, as we take communion, as we pray over each other, and as we eat. I ask that in your holy name. Amen.